Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound off. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. U.S.-China trade jolt. President Trump bows to economic concerns in a move to delay China tariffs. But for how long? We'll dive into the policy weeds to help you cipher through what's going on in what is a busy August recess for U.S.-China trade talks. Meanwhile, President Trump just this afternoon says that China is moving troops to its border with Hong Kong. The president has had a lot to say this afternoon via social media regarding the Hong Kong protests. We'll dive into that as well. Plus, the latest from the 2020 presidential campaign trail as Kamala Harris tries to revive her faltering poll numbers on an Iowa bus tour all-star panel to help us navigate through the policy and politics of a beautiful Tuesday here in Washington, D.C. A.B. Stoddard, associate editor and columnist at Real Clear Politics. Joe Crowley, former New York congressman and Democratic caucus chairman. It was a busy, busy day in terms of policy news, and it really spans around the globe with the U.S. and China. I want to start with the developments regarding trade policy. And coming up later on in the program, we'll discuss the Hong Kong element because the president weighing in on the protests in Hong Kong. And the U.S.-China trade talks really front and center this morning. Here with me for the hour, A.B. Stoddard, associate editor and columnist at Real Clear Politics, a friend of the show, a friend of mine, as is Joe Crowley, former New York congressman and Democratic caucus chair. Thank you both for being here. So the news earlier today, President Donald Trump is how it's being interpreted, bowing to pressure from U.S. businesses and concerns over the economic fallout of the trade war with China. And what he decided to do, A.B., was delay the imposition of new tariffs on a wide variety of consumer products, including toys, toys, i.e. holiday shopping, until December. So if you're if you're in the laptop industry with how the chips are made to uh, make laptops, as well as toy products, uh, we can talk all about intellectual property with toys and plastics and other commodities. Those tariffs have been delayed until mid-December. Wow. A back off? A, a recalibration? Oh, it definitely is because his, people around President Trump, as they often do, have been talking to the media behind his back on background about how much they have objected <laughs> to his recent decisions about how he tweeted out, 
the currency manipulation designation and that the Treasury Department had to scramble five hours later to officially make it a formal statement that they object to the new round of tariffs, that he's a lone ranger and he's not listening to anybody anymore. Uh, and they think it's a bad idea. And someone must have the, the message that he was going to risk his reelection in a serious way must have penetrated. There were also a devastating round of stories about farmers in the last 36 hours. And I do think that um, the president did retreat. I did think the holiday reference was a bit of a canard uh, because this is, I mean, basically December 15th, people he could still slap tariffs down and ruin everyone's holiday season and really depress consumer confidence and throw the markets into a bigger state of despair. So I think that's sort of an excuse, but it was a, definitely a retreat. And I think it's actually, uh, Kevin, you know, given new meanings to shoot from the hip, you know, <laughs> it's like, I, I think Amy's right. It's, it's, it's the president, you know, goes off without much of a script, I think, and says a lot of things that his, his staff is hoping they can reel back in. And when they can't, they use other resources to try to get him to see the light. I, I think here, you know, uh, with with the, uh, the 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 holiday shopping coming up at some point, people realize that you know this really probably wasn't a really good idea. Uh, and uh, I think you're right about the farmers. I think they're really suffering. And I've I've seen some footage of farmers um, in Iowa talking about uh, how they're struggling right now. They don't want a handout. They're not looking. They're, they're looking for free markets. They're looking for markets to sustain them. And that that it's not happening right now. And Kevin, I think that what the Chinese have concluded, uh, or at least president's top trade advisors, except for Peter Navarro, have concluded that the Chinese have concluded is that they can ride Trump out. And in a pre-election panic, Mm. he'll give them an ag-only deal that doesn't satisfy his original mandate on IP theft. I want to bold that, underline it, highlight it. But I mean, the the fact that they said this week, no more ag purchases at all. I mean, the, the farmers have been holding on to, you know, anything they could hold on to. As the congressman said, they want markets, not bailouts. They want certainty, not chaos. And this long term, um, this sort of new picture where chi- the Chinese look like they're digging in for the long term is really bleak. Uh, and I think that the long term damage, as we've discussed in your show many times, Kevin, to the supply chain is just. I mean, it might not be irreparable, but it'll take years to turn around. And you know what else, Kevin? You, you, you think about the farmers. They, they really, I think, genuinely believe that they are Americans, you know, beyond anything else. They really, they're willing to sacrifice for the country if they know what the end goal is here. And no one seems to really know what that is. I'm mm. not even sure the president knows where it's going to end. Right. They so, see it's not a plan anymore. Yeah, you're asking them to sacrifice to what end. I mean, I think they, they want to be good Americans. They want to, you know, support the government to do the right thing. But at the same time, they don't see an end here. And, and, and they're really suffering. Markets don't see it in either. Bloomberg News, Bloomberg did a, an analysis based off of the, the trade developments earlier today. And I'm, I'm looking at the Bloomberg terminal uh, as I speak, as I, as I try to crunch these numbers, because essentially what the president had said earlier a couple of weeks ago was that he was going to raise tariffs on $300 billion worth of products from China. What they did today is essentially split that in half. So you've got one chunk of about $110 billion, and that includes clothes, kitchenware, footwear. That is still going to be tariffed on September 1st, according to the Bloomberg News analysis. But the big ticket categories, smartphones, laptops, toys, worth about $160 billion, they're going to get that extension to be subject to tariffs until after December 
15th. So, I mean, it is it is fascinating. You couple that, A.B. and Joe, to, to both of your points in terms of what Ajit Pai did at the FCC today with or earlier this week uh, in terms of trying to expand 5G coverage to rural America. They're, they're giving, a, the, you know, carrots and carrots away to – to, to rural communities and, and to, to so many of these folks who are, are hit by by this. But, you know, I'm still waiting, and, and coming up we're going to dive into the 2020 fodder, but I'm still waiting for the Democrats to have a debate on tariffs. because And this is where I, I, I'm really interested in terms of the Chinese, because if they are playing a long game, I mean, what if it's President Elizabeth Warren? What if it's pre- what if it's President Bernie Sanders? They've advocated to use tariffs in the past time and time again. Yeah, I think the congressman can speak to where the party is on this. I, I think it's, um, uh, you know, coming from the center, uh, you know, and uh, I think the fact that the, the party has abandoned free trade is a huge mistake. Uh, the numbers for free trade are going through the roof in terms of support among Americans. The, Donald Trump has made this country love trade again because his unilateral approach to trade is dysfunctional. The way we bring China um, to the table and to scare them about their cheating is together with our allies, not alone. And so if you hear the answers on the debate stage from the Democrats, it's like, uh, Beto's the only one who could stand up and say tariffs are bad. He's literally the only and one. And so I, I, I really, I, I, I think, think that, Tulsi Gabbard said it too, didn't she say? She would do it. The but I don't the first feel thing like, she'd do. <laughs> okay, I, I, I do think also just to, to quickly, and I do want to hear from the congressman, but I just want to say, appreciate you your your data from the weeds kevin but just the farmers know more about trade than like a lot of the, the voters. traders do i mean they and don't so need, and they, they what, don't need a what they terminal tracking soybeans they, they can have hear president trump say i don't have a plan because what he's saying is we'll see what happens china wants to make a deal and they know china doesn't want to make a deal certainly not uh, before the elections i think they're gonna wait until after the elections for any deal but i i do agree i i think the party's position is schizophrenic at this point in time. <laughs> Both and, parties. And, and they, I, I, I think the president has turned trade upside down on its head a bit and certainly tariffs. But look, you know, Democrats have been talking about, you know, currency manipulation for decades, really, with China. And, you know, to some degree, the president, whether you like it or not, and I, I think he has no plan, um, is making these moves. So it makes it sometimes difficult for, say, for like a Tim Ryan uh, who has been talking about you know currency manipulation for the past few years, and other Democrats really cry foul. But um, you know, I do think you're right um, that uh, Democrats are a bit confused here. All right, you can't talk about China policy in a vacuum. Coming up, we're going to talk about the latest with regards to Hong Kong. The president weighing in this afternoon via Twitter with regards to the protests in Hong Kong. We'll dive into that with Joe Crowley, A.B. Stoddard. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. I'm brought, I'm back from New York after that Jason Greenblatt interview yesterday. You can watch the full interview by uh, following us on all the different platforms, uh, iTunes, Radio.com, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and of course on YouTube as well, and Bloomberg TV 
Com. A.B. Stoddard's here. She's associate editor and columnist at Real Clear Politics. Joe Crowley, former New York congressman and chairman of the Democratic Caucus. We were talking earlier about U.S.-China trade relations, about the president's decision to split off about $160 billion worth of tariffs and punt, kick the can down the road, whatever analogy, whatever phrase that we all use here in Washington, uh, overuse, uh, till December 15th with regards to raising tariffs on China trade goods. But the other major development brewing in the background is what's happening, the protests in Hong Kong, because protesters have continued to clash with police outside of Hong Kong's airport. There was a standoff. There's been uh, viral social media accounts of these protests as hundreds of black, I'm reading from the Bloomberg terminal, hundreds of black shirted protesters staged a sit in at the departures hall at Hong Kong International Airport, preventing some checked in passengers from reaching their planes. I mean, I, I have you guys ever been to the to Hong Kong's airport? I was there coming back. Actually, I had a layover when I was in, over in Vietnam covering the last summit. I mean, this is a massive massive airport and to have these protesters really there joe crowley uh what does it mean i mean i don't even want to go for the business angle yet what does it mean for china right now that once again hong kong protests are are flaring up well that's the big question where where will this all end it's been 10 weeks this has been going on now originally started over an extradition treaty um that they were protesting and now it is it's really morphed into other issues, including police brutality that they're protesting. But really, we don't know exactly where how it's going to end. I can only anticipate, you know, knowing Tiananmen Square, knowing how the Chinese can crack down, that this uh, this probably won't have a happy ending. In you know, sense. When I was at, where was it, the other week, Larry Kudlow spoke at one of the think tanks here, and I asked him about the protests, and I said the same question, you know, what what do, what does the U.S. make of this? And he really gave a vague sort of a non-answer and just said that the U.S. is keeping watch on it. And that was really the line that Secretary Pompeo gave to me when I interviewed him the other week. Uh, But that changed today, A.B., because President Trump tweeting out just this afternoon, quote, our intelligence has informed us that the Chinese government is moving troops to the border with Hong Kong. Everyone should be calm and safe. And then in a tweet right before that, he said, Many are blaming me and the United States for the problems going on in Hong Kong. I can't imagine why. I mean, what he's he's referencing is the allegations from China state-run media that this is a color revolution and essentially that the U.S. is behind this. Uh, and it seems like he's sort of like poking them a little bit. I mean, am I am I misinterpreting? I don't think he is. Actually, I read it the reverse way, that he's refusing. He's put no pressure on the Chinese over the detention of a million Uyghurs. He has no interest in um, human rights, uh, their violations of human or, or religious rights it, with uh, among their population. He completely ignores it. And he has not offered any support to the people in Hong Kong or warning to the Chinese government about the potential for violence. And so my my take on that tweet was like he's just being an anchor of a TV show and telling us about something really consequential that they're moving troops to the border, um, which is which could cause the potential for for violence against the protesters. And then he just says, "Be calm, be safe" in this super detached, neutral way. And, and this government has taken pains, like you said, Larry Kudlow did, to just 
sort of not acknowledge that we have a voice in this debate. Um, and I can't imagine another U.S. president just not having said something. I don't know if, if they're I hope they're privately warning the Chinese against any bloodshed. Um, but it, it really is. Um, so I understand why the Chinese propaganda would entail, uh, you know, blaming us because the protesters are using our flags and singing our anthem and, and doing things like that and talking about political reform. So it's sort of an easy out uh, to, to use that narrative. Very but I, I, I think Very actually that out. there's a role for a U.S. Uh, administration in, in saying something, um, you know, in, in a way his, that's his not threatening or be, confrontational. His response might be if you – Commit violence, we might put tariffs on your goods coming to America. You know, <laughs> well, I mean, I, sorry I, to laugh. He has, he has <laughs> never stood up for democracy, even here in America. You know, and never stood up for democratic states. I, 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 can, I can't recall when he stood up for a democratic state ha- having difficulties overseas. Um, and he's coddled to dictators. He's coddled up with with, uh, with strong men. Uh, so you know. What will the Chinese expect the response of the United States to be? Well, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell yesterday said that any violent crackdown in Hong Kong would be, quote unquote, completely unacceptable. And and I do want to I do want to read something that uh, Morgan Ortegas, if you heard of her, Morgan Ortegas, the spokesperson at the State Department, Morgan Ortegas, that she said on Friday uh, because she has she tweeted out. Quote, Chinese authorities know full well our accredited consular consular personnel are just doing their jobs just like diplomats from every other country. Because what China did, to AB's point, was to push this narrative that the U.S. was somehow behind this. And they tweeted out this picture of a diplomat. And not only did did, uh, did they tweet out the picture of the diplomat, but they named the diplomat, who was a woman, her children. They named her children, and she called. Uh, Morgan said that this was a this uh, was a quote unquote thuggish regime. So there are some folks who who are taking a much more. Uh, I, I yeah. think you know what I. I I think that what the Senate Majority Leader did yeah. was the right thing, and he's the highest-ranking official in this separate and co-equal branch of government. But I think it's it it's incumbent upon someone higher up than Morgan Ortegas in a tweet to tell uh, this uh, the rising aggressive China where the U.S. stands, and it's I think is incumbent on President Trump, if not Vice President Mike Pence or uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. No, I agree. I, I think that uh, the, it begs a response. And yet the president is going back to it's not my fault, you know. <laughs> always, let me. Crack. He's always a victim. All right, let me let me spin this just quickly. Or come, actually, you know what? I'm going to save it. Coming up, we're going to talk about whether or not the, whether or not this is a is a long term problem for China, and whether or not it will have impact on on China's economy. Uh, panel stays: A.B. Stoddard, Joe Crowley. You can download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. 
Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent with Bloomberg TV, Bloomberg Radio. A.B. Stoddard's here. She's Associate Editor and Columnist at Real Clear Politics. Joe Crowley's tapping along to Bruce the Boss, former New York Congressman and Democratic Caucus Chair. He named his dog after Bruce Springsteen. You know, I'm kind of like... I've been my allergies as I've gotten older, as I've come into myself, have really started to pick up. I like can't be around horses, can't be around hay, can't be around hyperallergenic dogs. But if I had a dog, I think I would name it either Fitz or Bruce after Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> you know, Joe. You know, aren't you glad you came there's in? Only, there's only there's only room for dogs. one Bruce Springsteen dog, <laughs> and it's Bruce Springsteen Crowley. We have him right now. So. Um, I want to put a uh, – talk about a pivot that I'm about to make. I want to put a period on the conversation that we were having about Hong Kong. Just very quickly, do you think that the, that the Hong Kong protests pose any significant risk to China and President Xi Jinping uh, as they negotiate things like with the U.S. on, on uh, trade? I don't, I don't think it presents any real physical threat. I think it's more perception. Right. Um, I think that's the issue here. Uh, the Chinese are very, very skittish about – um, you know, what's proper China. Uh, and, and they believe, and they certainly are right, that uh, after the, the transfer uh, back in the 90s from Britain to China, it is there. It, it's, it's part of them. But, you know, it's these, these incremental – this has been happening over some time incrementally in terms of restrictions that, restrictions that have been brought um, uh, b- b- to the people of Hong Kong. And so it's really what the reaction is going to be to this. Um, you know, I, I just don't see it. They, they've never, they haven't really ended well to begin with. So uh, I'm, I'm not all that hopeful. I mean, I think if the Chinese end up cr- with a military crackdown, that's going to be a long-term problem. Yeah. Um, I think if they find a way to uh, bury the extradition bill, um, which has been um, – it's it sort of – I don't know, on the back burner, but not officially dead. And so that's why there's concern. But as the congressman said, now they're talk, they're talk, they're, the protesters are talking about police brutality as a result of the 10 weeks and political reforms they want to see. Maybe if the Chinese can find a way to sort of make this quiet down by by just distancing themselves from the from the extradition bill, they can quiet this down. There can be no bloodshed. I mean, they really can't have a violent scene because that becomes a long-term problem. I, you know, and I don't want to conflate stories, but it is, I just want to put a final marker on this before we move on to 2020. I just was, I was thinking about this and I, I hate to be one of these people, but I'm about to be one of those people. On the Acela back in Washington last night, and I mean, you look at the protests in Hong Kong and what are we talking about? Police brutality, A.B., that's what you just mentioned. We all know very well the conversations that are being had in America politics over the past several years with regards to the relationship between the police and and police force and, and criminal justice reform and whatnot. And then you look at the protests over the weekend in Moscow as well, where there was also uh, massive protests in, in Moscow about expanding the uh, rights to opposition parties to be able to run in down-ballot elections coming up in, in, in Moscow. I mean, it's a fascinating time 
in terms of, of global superpowers and, and what's happening. Uh, and it's it they're all very different, but they do have similarities and we're, we're living through it. Uh, we're also living through the cusp of the dawn of the 2020 uh, presidential election. They were all in Iowa. I think some of them still are. I think Pete Buttigieg is still in Iowa. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I think Senator Elizabeth Warren has continued to really be the stealth sleeper candidate uh, that's really ascended. She was in New Hampshire today, in upstate New Hampshire, and Bernie Sanders is headed back there as well. And clearly, clearly, she has caught the attention of President Trump. Listen to what President Trump had to say earlier today. He was in Pennsylvania as well as campaigning, and he, he sized up the, the, the Democratic field. Here's President Trump. She's staging a comeback on Sleepy Joe. I don't know who's going to win, but we'll have to hit Pocahontas very hard again if she does win. But she's staging a little bit of a comeback. What a group. Pocahontas and Sleepy Joe. Not, not you, Joe Crowley. What, uh, what a group. Oh, he has another nickname for me, but that's okay. I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to divulge that again. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, you know I, I, the, 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 the polls have showed that Biden kind of crept up a little bit, but Warren has really got a, 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 a bit of significant bump here. What I think is really interesting, though, is that how poorly Bernie's doing. Uh, I think that the field certainly has is, is so expansive. Uh, unlike four years ago, when it was basically you know put Martin aside for a moment, Hillary and Bernie. If you didn't like Hillary, you had to be for Bernie. Poor O'Malley. That Everybody that, says that. But that doesn't exist anymore. Now you have multiple candidates, and especially Elizabeth Warren, who's going to give him a tough time in Iowa and especially in New Hampshire. And I think it's 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 tough days for Bernie. I think ahead. Maybe. Well, I have contended all along that Bernie Sanders is in this for his ego, and he's going to stay in it if, if as long as he can retain a durable enough percentage of the coalition that he can take it to the convention and reelect Donald Trump. That's my personal view. Um, but the hope of the Elizabeth Warren fans is that she consolidate that Bernie that Bernie is fading, and that she will have a bigger chunk of that vote and he she he will drop out and she will consolidate his vote and she will have a larger margin than Biden and become the front runner and this is everything you've said is true her army of true believers is everywhere they've laid the groundwork for months they're hyper organized they're totally devoted they are. it's incredibly impressive she has embraced the grind she wants to incrementally win this she doesn't go for viral moments she wants to earn every vote every minute the hard way she wants to be president which most people run for president, they, they think that they should be president. I really respect her work ethic and her dedication, but there are people in the party who genuinely believe she can be the nominee and she can beat Joe Biden, but that they will have an unelectable general election nominee. I want to pause there. Coming up, we're going we're gonna to talk more about that uh, with A.B. Stoddard and Joe Crowley. You can download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. There's a bop. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. We're talking all things politics and policy. We've pivoted back to the 2020 campaign trail as Senator Elizabeth Warren rises, continues to rise. 
to the top of the pack. She's got to fend off Bernie Sanders. They're both campaigning this week in upstate New Hampshire, a much more rural part of the country, very similar to Iowa. But Joe Biden, talk about Teflon Don. Joe Biden, the former vice president, I mean, everyone's taking shots at the guy, except Tulsi Gabbard. But for the rest of them, they're all taking shots at him. He's still leading the polls. And I was saying this the other day, and A.B. Stoddard's here. She's associate editor and columnist at Real Clear Politics. Joe Crowley is here, former New York congressman and Democratic caucus chairman. Joe, I was saying this the other day. I'm like, that's what's hard about being the leader of the pack. You've got nowhere to go but down. And in such a crowded field, it's like he's turned himself into a political pinata. But I think he's taking blow after blow. Yeah. And he continues to stand. You know, the question is, what is his floor? Ooh. You know, what is the flaw for Joe Biden? And and uh, I think, you know, for me personally, I think it's probably around 20, 25 percent, somewhere in between there. He's close to it now. Uh, and I, I think if he can get through this, uh, he'll continue to be the front runner. I think, A.B., I mean, and listen, what do I know? I'm just a reporter. But you see him make these so-called gaffes. Uh, you would argue that back during the Obama White House, that part of his appeal was that he did make gaffes, that he was authentic. What do you say? I mean, is there a notion that he's so insulated by all of the A-team political advisors who are telling him, don't say this and say this? I mean, why not? The way that uh, the way that Trump got elected was he would just say one gaffe, arguably, maybe he didn't think it was a gaffe, but would say one thing that would dominate things. And like the next hour, I love the poorly educated. But I remember that all timer. Yeah, right. I remember that she's quoting (laughs) President Trump. Uh, but but so why not just let him just out? OK, so there's two schools of thoughts right now. And I've been trying to query people about this for the last 36 hours because he had this wonderful speech last Wednesday in response to the mass shootings and about what you know, we, it, one of his great lines in it is everyone, including Trump supporters, knows who he is. Why don't we show him who we are and his donors and his supporters and his campaign? They were so psyched with the response. David Axelrod was on Twitter saying this is like him at his best. You know, it was a real moment for Joe Biden, which he ruined in the coming days with a whole bunch of gaffes. Some of them, some of them seemed age related, like he's like not just that he mixed up Sandy Hook with Parkland, but that he was making stuff up. And he's been, you know, he's plagiarized in the past. And you don't want to get into that. that. You don't want to get into Donald Trump making things up land. Okay, so it's very concerning because it opens up a vulnerability with him on the left, that the left who's gunning for Warren and all of the, you know, woke Democrats who are never Joe are going to be able to say, see, where's he going to be a year from now? He's 76 years old. He's stale. He's old. He's tired. He's forgetful. He can't stand the heat. And so that's the vulnerability. I think once, if he was a general election candidate today, making gaffed after gaffed, there are a bunch of of voters in the general election will say, we'll take him. But it's the the pressure from the left that is really a vulnerability. And I think you're right about that last point, especially, you know, Democrats, if you want to win, that's what they're looking at. Who is a who who can beat Donald Trump? And I think the polls are consistently showing that strength is still there, despite the attacks that people perceive him as someone who can beat Donald Trump. And, you know, uh, it's not just him who's the it's not just Joe Biden who be the president. It's him. It's his staff. It's the people around him. It's a real State Department as opposed to an empty building here in Washington, D.C. It's not really engaging the world again. I think that's what people are looking at. I want to I want to talk Kamala Harris because she had that breakout moment that really got all this started. Uh, She's a senator from California. She she took on Joe Biden at the first debate in Miami. And she's she's really stumbled uh, a little bit. She hasn't really caught on. 
I I actually think it's less to do with sort of the the media viral moments, and I I mean maybe I'm totally wrong, but. The, the, the primary and caucus voters are so plugged in, just like our audience, so plugged into policy, and they know all of the different policy nuances. I attribute this to her Medicare plan because I think that it doesn't go far enough to satisfy the Warren Sanders crowd. And I can tell you that in private conversations with their staff, they bristle at the notion that Kamala Harris's plan is Medicare for all. And I think that Biden successfully took down the plan at the last debate and challenged her, and it was a, f- a foreshadowing of how he will go after Sanders AB by saying, you want to go to the unions and tell them that, they're, that, they, that they can't? You want to go to the unions in Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, where I grew up, and say that you can't keep your health care? I think that Biden's takedown of her plan, just I agree with you, was very effective. Uh, but I, what I think that those primary voters that you're talking about who are so steeped in this know is that she's just not strong on policy. She's taken 12 positions on health care, the number one defining issue of the midterms and likely the 2020 election. She told Jake Tapper at a CNN town hall in January that she was ready to go full Medicare for all because we don't need any private insurance. The, the day after the first debate, she said she, she misheard the question. She didn't want to take away everyone's private insurance, just her own, in order to have a public uh, a program. It, it, it's, it's been so bananas. And she's just she's a really impressive candidate. But she has shown the fact that she's no Elizabeth Warren. She's that's what not I was just a say. policy one. I was literally took the words out of my mouth. I mean, that's the difference between Warren, who I think has spent the last... I mean, I've covered her since her first day on the Senate Banking Committee. It was my first day in covering Capitol Hill. Uh, And she has ingrained herself. Elizabeth Warren has ingrained herself, Joe Crowley, into the apparatus of the Democratic National Committee in a way that Kamala Harris just has not. Well, I think it's a couple of things. One is I think it's not just Kamala Harris, but I think Medicare for all took a real big hit in terms of the last couple of weeks. But I think the other part about Elizabeth Warren, which I think is interesting as well, I think if others were talking about some of her policies, um, that may sound crazy to the rest of the world, but if you ask the average worker in middle America, can someone who's earning $50 million a year, um, for every dollar over $50 million, can they spare an extra two cents to the American government? Whether the numbers add up or not is almost irrelevant. That's a very attractive, I think, proposition to average voters, and you know she, they don't they don't look at it as a wealth tax because you get to keep the fifty million first. Your first billion doesn't get touched until the three cents after your first billion. I'm every, a nerd, as you both know. I'm a massive dork, and I read all of these books. I, I think Biden's book is riveting. It's a personal testament of, of his, the struggle that he's had in his family. Uh, but her book is is equally as good, and she talks about growing up in Oklahoma. I think that's why she's catching on in Iowa. I mean, she has that folksiness uh, to her. All right, before I let you guys go, because we were talking about this in the break, what are you watching on Netflix, A.B. Stoddard? <laughs> like I'm, watching, I'm watching The Family, and it is about Christians working um, silently and quietly and somewhat secretly to um, consolidate influence in Washington and around the world with policymakers and leaders and to try to keep their their um, their mission um, out of the press 
uh, and it's fascinating. I cannot wait to literally go home tonight and watch this. And Joe Crowley, you're like making TV shows. Well, I don't know if I'm making it, but I've heard a rumor that there's a TV show called Sunnyside coming out on NBC. Yes. It's a, it's a neighbor in my old district. And the, the premise of the story apparently is a city councilman unexpectedly loses his reelection. kind of kind of hits home a little bit. <laughs> you should go on it. Would well, I'm hoping I get a cameo. If anyone from NBC is listening, I'd like you know a cameo. What? This is what we're going to do. We're going to tweet it. Out, we're gonna blast it out. I think that you deserve a cameo in NBC's Sunny Side. You heard it here first. Joe Crowley, AB Stoddard, two friends of mine. Thank you so much for coming on. This was an easy hour. Thank I mean, you. this Thanks, was just Kevin. like uh, oh, we didn't even get J- Jennifer Jacobs has a scoop out on the Bloomberg terminal uh, that Pompeo is telling donors to hold off donating to the Kansas Senate race until he decides whether or not to run. We'll dive into that, and hopefully I can convince Jen to come on the show, my, my friend Jen Jacobs. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. Downloading the Bloomberg Business app. That's a mouthful. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.